Do you have a friend who could use your help? I hope so. I imagine, I imagine you do have at least one person in your life, someone that you have observed, and you're thinking, oh man, I wish I could speak into their life. Are there some people in your sphere who are not looking for help, but you long to speak into their lives? That's another issue. There are people that you see and you can speak into their life and maybe not have too much difficulty, but then there are other people that you see who are not looking for your help, but you carry them on your heart and you so long to help them. Maybe you can project out there, you can see the end result of of what's going to happen if they continue to do what they are doing. I feel that way in counseling often. I've described it this way sometimes to some people. I would say that I'm I'm like a guy sitting on the rim of the Grand Canyon in a, a lounge chair, and I'm watching people walk right by me and fall off into that deep hole of the Grand Canyon, and there's nothing that I can do as though I have tape on my mouth. I long to say something. I, I want to wave my arms and, and say, stop, stop, but not only are they not listening, they are not seeking any kind of help whatsoever. Uh, those are the those are the hard situations in life. I know mis, uh, most biblical counselors because they love people and they want to see people transformed. Uh, they can become overwhelmed by this problem as they look out upon the fields and they see so many people that are hurting, and many of them are running as far from them as they can. And if you're not careful, if you're not guarding your heart, you can be overwhelmed. But it is even more personal and more painful for those who are closest to us. This is the holiday season in the United States as we're heading into Thanksgiving and Christmas. Usually it's this time of the year when people are really thinking about Uh, those folks who need some help but aren't seeking help. And therefore, I want to share with you this podcast, and I hope that it will be a benefit to you. By the way, I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive. Your Daily Drive is the podcast where we put our article content in audio format. So if you prefer, you can just listen to it. Many people do that. In fact, most people do that. Podcasting is the new thing. It's been around for a number of years now. But it has grown in popularity because, well, people have found out that you can listen to great resources and you can do it on the run. We can multitask. And so for all of you who are driving around in your automobiles today, heading to work, coming back from work, going wherever you're going, or that lady who's vacuuming the floors right now, uh, thank you for allowing me to be your white noise as I am sharing with you. You keep on vacuuming and I'll keep on Talking, But if you want to read the Your Daily Drive podcast, you can do that because all of them are in article format. And so there is an article on the website. The title of this podcast, by the way, and that article is Tips on Helping the Person Who Does Not Want Help. That person that you have in mind right now. Perhaps you are married to that individual. Maybe... I know for many of you, it's your child. You have at least one child who needs your help, but they do not want your help. And that is most definitely a difficult situation. Well, I want to share with you, I say there's tips. I want to give you 10 tips. I want to share with you 10 things to think about. And you can write these out. By the way, I made this into a little graphic. It's a Facebook post, actually. Uh, 
You can post this on Facebook, but more importantly, you can post it on your refrigerator and you can think about these 10 things as you think about that person who needs your help, but they're not asking. I also have a little short 90 second video here that you can look at. And as always, I have three more articles linked in this one. And so if you want to, you can go a little more in depth in this idea of helping people and how to help people. And again, specifically in this podcast, we're talking about helping the person who's not looking for your help. And honestly, the first and most important thing to remember is to keep on loving that person. You want to be careful here because sometimes it can be easy. It can be a temptation to just give up on the person. You want to think gospel here. You want to think how long God persevered with you. We have a persevering God. He persevered with you, loving you while you were a sinner, while you were sending your brains out. God was loving you and loving me. And so you want to make sure that you have affection for the individual. There must be some kind of love for this person, and it must be always riding in the background of your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, your actions. If you do not have genuine care, whatever words or actions, whatever they may be, you will stain them by your frustration, your impatience, your annoyance with the person. That's why I say that your affection, whatever that may be, needs to be riding in the background, needs to be riding down in your heart. So when your words and actions come forth out of your heart, they won't be stained by frustration, impatience, and annoyance, but they will be uh, saturated with kindness and affection and love. It is imperative that you understand what is happening in your heart as you think about the wayward person. Now, as you discern your heart, there are at least two things going on inside of you. If you care about this person, which you do, and they are not changing, and you want to help them, it is critical that you discern what is going on in your heart as you think about that wayward person. Now, there are at least two things that are going on inside of you, and both of them are tied to fear. One is you're afraid of how they may end up, is the illustration that I was using earlier, sitting on the rim at the rim of the Grand Canyon, and you're watching people file by you as they are heading off into the ravine as though they are blindfolded and you have tape on your mouth and you can't say anything. And so as you think about their life, you look at their trajectory, you see where they have been in their past, and you can with you, you can somewhat approximate what their future will look like. Their future will look like their past in some way, except it will probably be worse. We incrementally, this is the way it works. We are incrementally getting worse or we are incrementally getting better. For the Christian, we should be incrementally getting better. That's called progressive sanctification. But for those who are rejecting Christ, whether they are believers or unbelievers, but if they are refusing to walk in a path of righteousness, they are not static. They are not neutral. They are not staying the same. They are incrementally getting worse. And so I say that you can look at their past and determine what their future is going to look like. 
except, of course, their future will be a little bit worse than their past because they're getting incrementally worse as they continue down a path of unrighteousness. And so as you look at them, one of the things that's going on in your heart that is tied to fear is that you are afraid of how that person may end up. The second thing that possibly is going on in your heart that's tied to fear is you're concerned about how they may may respond to your help. And that is a big deal. I mean, who wants to confront people? That is not an enjoyable thing, and you should not enjoy it. You should go in it with sobriety, but it's so easy to go in it thinking about how they may respond, meaning that they are going to respond adversely, reactionary to whatever you say. And so you want to guard your heart, understand what is happening in your heart as you think about the wayward person. And again, both of those things are tied to fear, how they may end up or how they may react to you if you say something to them. Now, perhaps you will not be able to help this person change as possible. Perhaps you may not be able to cooperate with the Lord and work with this person as a come-alongside friend. But one thing that you can do for them, you can pray for them. You can do what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It will be your prayers for them, your praying without ceasing for them, that will buoy your love for the individual And so one of the ways that you can maintain affection for the person is by praying for the person. If you are regularly praying without ceasing, as Paul says in Thessalonians 5.17, if you are regularly praying for this person, you will be able to maintain some kind of charity toward this individual. And out of that humility, the Lord may give you the empowerment and the insight to love him well and perhaps do something to help help the individual who is wayward. But let me give you a prayer caveat. As you are praying for this person, remember that our prayers are subjective. I mean, at best, our prayers are subjective, and, so, and our prayers for others can really be subjective, meaning that we could want something so badly for the individual that Uh, we may be too impulsive on what we believe God wants us to do. And so it would be wise to let any action steps that may come from your prayer life to sit in your mental incubator for a while before you act on them. Uh, Having a healthy self-suspicion, even about your prayer life, will uh, will serve you well. You know, at times we can lace our prayers with what we want, which ends up damaging the relationship that we want to help. And so that's my prayer caveat. How many times have you felt like something was from the Lord, but acted on it too quickly? And upon backward hindsight glance, as you look through the rearview mirror, you see that your prayer proved that your emotions about the person were stronger than your assumed eliminations from the Spirit of God. We can be subjective in our prayer life, and we can think we're hearing from the Lord when in actuality we are not. This kind of impulsiveness is what I call the ready-fire-aim method for responding to annoying people. It's a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, if you spend five minutes on Facebook, that's all you need to see this acted out in the public square. 
prayer works. Prayer is critical, but prayer incubation is wise, is humble, is sanctifying. And so if you think you know what you need to do, spend a little more time in prayer incubation before you go out there and do something that you may regret. Perhaps something else that you can do is before you make those action steps is you can bounce it off a friend just to get some more clarification. Again, prayer is important, but prayer can be so subjective that we map what we want over what actually needs to be done. Another example of this reactionary kind of thing is the reactionary email that you later dreaded. In most cases, waiting to respond to someone is best, especially in non-critical times. That's, that's the best time uh, to respond to a person, not when it, you need to say something now or not when you're really impulsive. Uh, let it rest. I've found sometimes letting it, there's two things that I have found to help. One, let my wife read the email. That has always proved to be helpful and never has proven to be a failure. And the other thing is let the email sit for a day or two. Uh, that is helpful. And so my point here is, yes, you want to pray for them and you want to love them, but I'm giving you a huge prayer caveat because the truth is we can be highly subjective. Watching someone self-destruct, it's not unique to you. We all have that person in our lives, which is why loving him well is critical. He needs someone who not only loves him, but someone who's asking the Lord for opportunities to be Jesus to him. I mean, he may never know this, or he may not know it for a while, but to have somebody who loves him and who is booing up that love by a praying without ceasing prayer life, well, that is a, an amazing gift. There is a difference between a person looking for help and the person who needs help but is not asking. If he's not asking, he's not searching. Thus, you want to be careful about inserting advice where it may not be appreciated. It's like walking up to a person on the street and telling him, Hey, I want to teach you how to play the guitar. Well, if he's not interested in what you're offering, it would be hard to make him amenable to what you'd like for him to do. Rarely will you have opportunities to help people according to your timetable. And so as you watch this person self-destruct, as you watch him march toward the Grand, Grand Canyon, you need to understand this, this idea about impulsiveness in your timetable and changing this person according to how you want to change the person. It takes discernment to know when to withhold your corrective care and when to insert yourself into a person's life. You have someone in your life who needs help. Perhaps that person is a relative, which is normal because those are the people that you love the most. You pull the most for those who are the closest to you, and you hurt the most for those who are closest to you, and you're more offended by those who are closest to you, and, and you see the shortcomings of those who are closest to you. And so the question is, well, how do I help this person? And I want to give you a few tips, which is really what this podcast is about. It is titled Tips on Helping the Person Who Does Not Want Help. I want to share 10 things with you, and one of them I have already shared with you about this person because it's the most important one, and that is pray. Point number one is pray for the person. As I have already said, 
Prayer will do so many things. It will help you to get in line with what God has in mind for this person. It will guard your heart against all kinds of things, and it will help you to have that affection that you need for that individual. Have you ever been corrected by someone who didn't have affection for you? Possibly. How did that feel? Uh, Their correction was stained with frustration and impatience. Well, if you spend time, adequate time, praying for this person, it will help you to maintain love for them. And then when that time comes to bring that corrective care, if you need to, you will be able to do it out of a heart of affection. But who knows? Maybe your prayer will be the thing that the Lord uses to drive this person to the place to where they find the change that they need. And that and that becomes your exclusive role with that person. You have prayed for them. And so what is one tip for helping the person who does not want help? Well, you can pray for them, and there's not a thing they can do about it. It's like saying, I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. Well, you can say this as well. You can't stop me from praying for you. And so pray right now. Stop this podcast and just say a prayer for that individual at this moment. Now, maybe part of your prayer needs to be, Lord, I don't love this person. God, change me. Let that be your first prayer. God, give me a heart of kindness and patience and and faith for this person. Lord, work in my heart so that I can position myself to be an effective ambassador of Christ to this person. Number one, pray for the person. Number two, discern if you are mapping your preferences over that person. You want them to do what you want to do. You know, perhaps they are right and you are wrong. There's an idea of this in 1 Corinthians 8.13. Paul said this, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, Paul was in the right to eat meat because he clearly said in the previous 12 verses to 1 Corinthians 8 that eating meat sacrificed to idols is not a problem. Paul was right in that, but in this sense, he was wrong. And so maybe you want something for a person. Maybe you want this person to uh, enjoy meat offered to idols, and you're mapping what you want. You're mapping your preference over that person. But in this case, you need to back off what you want, because in this case, it would harm this person to do what you want. It's going to take discernment. So really think through this idea. I'm giving you a twisted case study here out of 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Perhaps they are right. In that case, because of their weak conscience, they are right. Hopefully they would get to the place to where they can do what uh, Paul was doing, eating meat, sacrifice to idols, but right now they're right. And so you want to make sure you want to discern that you are not mapping your preference over that person. Now talking to someone else about this is critical. Obviously. Point number three, always try to ask questions instead of making statements about what you're observing. Be comfortable with your inability to be omniscient. You are not omniscient. Not, not, um, you are not omniscient, and neither am I. 
Uh, my friend said, well, what is omniscience? He wasn't familiar with that word. I said, omniscience means you know everything. Whatever it is that you know about this situation is limited. Only God knows everything. There's an element of mystery here. When the road stops, you stop. Don't assume that you know everything. If you need more information, which you do, make sure you guard against making statements. This is what you did. That's an omniscient statement there. Well, that's what you think they did, or that's what you think was really going on. But do you have the whole story? I mean, really? And so always try to ask questions. You want to preface that. You want to move into the conversation, into the corrective care that you want to bring by asking questions, not making statements. That would be wise. It would be humble. Number one, pray for the person. Number two, make sure you're not mapping your preferences over the person. Number three, make sure you ask questions more than making statements. Number four, ask God to show you the unique moments where you can love them practically. In John 16, 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. We are pneumatic beings, meaning we are spirit-led beings. Ask God to give you that spirit-led illumination so that you can find the unique moments to where you can love them practically. Find opportunities just to just to love them. What you're doing is you're building a relational bridge. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We receive God's chastening because we are well aware of his love. Make sure this person is well aware of your love for them. And so as you find those unique moments in their lives, in your life with them together, uh, express love to them. Number five, guard your heart by knowing the difference between overcaring and undercaring. You have to find the sweet spot within this per- uh, with this person, with this relationship. Sometimes you can overcare, and if you are overcaring, you're going to pull too hard. You're going to pull too much. You're going to be impatient. You're going to be frustrated because you're caring too much. You're overworrying. You're overcaring. You're trying to force righteousness on this person. Don't do that. And you don't want to be undercaring. Some people would call that apathy. Just really don't care what they do. Somewhere in between overcaring and undercaring is that sweet spot. Guard your heart. Know the difference between over and undercaring. Number six, make sure your critical observations are nowhere near the number of times you express your affection for them. I talked earlier about praying for them and loving them. Your prayers will help buoy your love for them. And you don't want to correct a person that you don't have genuine affection for. Well, now it comes to a a ratio. Make sure that your critical observations are nowhere near the number of times you express your affection for them. A good rule of thumb could be 10 to 1. For example, parents need this tip. It is so easy to correct our children because our children mess up so often. And if you're not careful, you'll have the ratio flipped. You will be correcting them 10 times and encouraging them once. You want your correction to be swallowed up in a sea of affection. Make sure that your critical observations are nowhere near the number of times you express 
affection for them. Number seven, determine if what you are, are observing is about their salvation or their sanctification. There's a big difference here. If you are talking about their salvation, then it's obviously more critical. Uh, that's the most important thing in all of our lives. Our greatest need is God's forgiveness. There is not a need greater than God's forgiveness. If we aren't forgiven, we're going to hell. And so you want to discern, is this about salvation? Now, again, I know that that's a subjective assessment. How can we know that we know that we know where we can't? Not in an absolute sense. As you probably know, there are people who seem to be entirely sanctified, but they're not Christians. They seem to be hitting all the marks, but the truth is they're not saved. Don't be surprised by that. And then there can be people that we have judged as not being Christians at all, but they truly are. So we want to be careful as we think about this. But as best as you can discern, are we talking about salvation or sanctification? If it's salvation, it is critical. If it's sanctification, well, then there may be some things you can overlook. You can pace yourself if it's sanctification issues, depending on what the sanctification problem is. But point number seven, you want to discern are we talking about salvation or sanctification? Number eight, don't bug them about how they need to change. This is this forcing righteousness idea. And again, the people that are closest to us will be the ones that we will push the hardest, become more impatient quicker than maybe someone else that we don't love as much. So don't bug them about how they need to change. Number nine, encourage them, but not so much that it comes across as you're working them. This is not a ploy. This is not a strategy that you implement for a, a good outcome. No, this has to be genuine. It must be pneumatic, spirit-led. It must be from the heart. You want genuine affection. Uh, for the person, and you want to encourage them, bless them, help them, but it it comes from a pneumatic leading that you're spirit-led. You're just not doing it because you're working for a greater good, and so make sure that uh, this is pneumatic love that you're expressing to them. And then number 10, uh, talk privately to your closest friend about these things. Because there is so much subjectivity here about the things that I'm sharing with you, and as I, I spent a little bit of time earlier talking about that prayer caveat, how we can pray, but we're not really praying in a submitted way. We're more praying in a driving way where we're driving our prayers and, and trying to get God to do what we want God to do. There is so much subjectivity here that you really do need a, a human helper to come alongside you, to help you, to govern your thoughts. It is one of the beauties and the privileges and, and satisfying safety nets for the Christian. Iron sharpens iron. A friend loves at all times. And having a friend that, that you can go to and bounce these ideas off of, that is that is a fantastic thing. And so what you have here are 10 tips for helping the person who doesn't want help. 
what a gift that you can give to someone. They are not aware. They are not seeking. They don't care. They're not looking for your input, but you are modeling your persevering Lord. You are being persevering in their lives. You're going to be persistent, and you can do it in so many ways that it doesn't necessarily feel intrusive. It doesn't necessarily feel like you are tweaking them with a wrench or a hammer, but they are feeling you being Christ to them. And there may be moments within all these 10 tips that I have given you to where you can bring that corrective care in their lives as they are drawn to you, as you build that relational bridge. Perhaps you have a question about some of these things. It would be a joy to answer whatever question you may have. We have free public forums. It's open to anyone, anybody in the world who has access to the internet. And so if you can get on the internet, get your username and your password. We have about six new people that come to us every day six new people, a little bit more than that, every day that come to us looking for help. And if you want to be one of those people, we welcome you. It's free. Get your username and password. Make sure that you are logged in and then ask whatever question that you may have. It can be pertaining to this. It can be pertaining to something else. It doesn't matter on our end. The only thing that matters to us is we want to serve you. Will you let us serve you? We want to be an interactive ministry, not just a dispenser of great resources, but we want to interact uniquely with you. And so if you would let that happen, you can. We'll be here waiting on you to answer whatever questions that you may have. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.